This is the Life Church Podcast. Yeah, a few years ago, I was uh, attending a choices clinic here in town. It's a, uh, an alternative to abortion clinic here in this town to their banquet. They have an annual banquet. This was years ago when they were doing it at the Holiday Inn. And so I was I headed to the Holiday Inn, and I, you know, I, uh, I drove my truck there, and I parked in the parking lot, and I was going to, you know, walk into, and I had just gotten an iPhone at that point, and I remember clearly I was kind of like playing around with it. I, you know, it was all new to me. It was new. It was a, you know, first smartphone I'd had, and so I'm kind of looking through it, you know, walking around, and I'm walking into the Holiday Inn. I must have been not paying attention because I was crossing the street to get into the Holiday Inn when uh, I heard the honk of a horn, and there was a van. I was like in the middle of the street, and there was a van trying to get by, and they honked at me, you know? And very uncharacteristic to how it normally is here in Iowa. Maybe in Chicago it's a different story. But in Iowa, this is how, you know, the guy starts going by me and he said, and he just yelled out a few things I can't say. And then he flipped me off. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, you know, and I apologize and I kept crossing the street. And then as he passed me by, I noticed in the back he had all these like bumper stickers, Christian bumper stickers, you know, a variety of them. And what was funny is, I, I, I vividly remember this. One of them said, Jesus is my co-pilot. <laughs> and I thought, I think, this is what I thought in my head when I saw that bumper said, I think, I think Jesus missed his ride that day. I, I don't know what happened because he was definitely not in the van, you know. <laughs> so we're concluding this series called Peeled, where we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And last but not least, self-control. And I wonder why the Apostle Paul decided to make it last. I mean, it's just conjecture right now because I really, we can't get into his mind. We don't know if he was just being random in writing it or if the Holy Spirit was just, it's just a whole list. It's a complete list that is about the walking in the Spirit. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe Paul was being intentional. But one thing I do know is it's probably one of the most difficult fruit to cultivate in our lives, self-control. In fact, I would say it's probably the fruit that takes the longest to germinate. It's not usually that you don't, you don't usually begin to see self-control happening until later on in life as you've been, as you've lived life, as you've seen the casualties of war, as you've seen like punching holes through the wall, you know, the, what, what, that hap, what that causes in, in your relationships with other people. But, won't, but make no mistake about it. It's a master virtue. It's one that we should walk in. All of us should walk in. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's why Paul made sure that it's listed. We as people, as followers of Jesus Christ, are walking in self-control. I like what Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than powerful, one with self-control, than one who takes a city. And the idea here is that if you can conquer yourself... If you can conquer yourself, you can conquer about just about anything, if you can conquer yourself. Listen, the biggest battle you're going to fight in life is not going to be against that ex. It's not going to be against your employer who you feel like is cheating you and not giving you the promotion you want. It's not going to be against the bank that you think is repossessing something of yours. That's not the biggest battle you're going to fight. The biggest battle you're going to fight in life is against yourself. I think this is precisely why Paul says 
The one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Now, it's interesting that it is listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit. So it tells me then that really it's not about self-control. It's not like it's about trying harder. If I could just figure it out, work harder, and uh, grit my teeth, I can eventually have self-control. That's really not how it is. I think it's listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit because it's something that the Holy Spirit grows in you. Probably a more appropriate term would be spirit-controlled as opposed to self-controlled. Because I know what self does. Self is destructive. Self is selfish. Self does its own thing. When self doesn't get its way, self gets angry. But when I'm yielding to the Holy Spirit and I allow the Spirit to control me, it's a very different story altogether. And this is really what we've been talking about. It's about yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. I heard a sermon years ago by a guy named Jack Hayford. He's a very high-profile pastor, um, teacher, a guy who's very well-known in America. He's he's still alive. He's like 84 years old. He pastored a church in California called Church on the Way. Um, He was speaking to a bunch of leaders and uh, this group that he was, it wasn't a church service. It was just a, a leadership conference. And he was speaking to a bunch of leaders and he was kind of talking to them about, you know, how to lead well, what it looks like to lead well. And, um, and so he's speaking in many ways to his peers, right? Now, the thing is, a lot of the things that he was saying, only Jack Hafer could say after 80, 84 years of life, after 60 plus years of, of ministry, things that he's learned along the way. And one of the challenges, in fact, this was the challenge that he gave to that group. He said, this is what he said, you need to learn to make decisions against yourself. Make decisions against yourself. Because self can be selfish. And then he went on to basically give a whole bunch of anecdotal stories of how he you know, has had to make decisions against his ego, against his pride, against, you know, the flesh. He's had, he's had to make uh, choices against himself in terms of what is second best versus what is the best thing to do. And so for our purpose today, what I'd like us to do is I'd like to, us to use that as the definition of self-control. Self-control is making decisions against yourself. Self-control is making decisions against yourself. Let me put it this way. If you're in here this morning and you have six-pack abs, you made some decisions against yourself, right? While you were in the gym working out, I was standing in the buffet line. (laughs) If you have a PhD here today or you're a medical doctor and you spent years and years in schooling and getting your education to become a physician, you made some decisions against yourself. While you were in the library studying, we were all watching Stranger Things on TV or something. You know, I don't know what we were watching. I, w- I never watched Stranger Things. But anyways, some people were watching Stranger Things, right? World-class athletes, they make decisions against themselves. World-class musicians make decisions against themselves. And I'm going to stop there because we're all feeling like, a sl- like slackers now, right? Like, oh, man, I, I'm the worst kind of sinner right here now. But here's the idea for us today. If you want to grow in your relationship with God... If you want to fulfill the dreams and the plans that God has for you in life, it's going to require making some decisions against yourself. It's going to require you saying to yourself, I'm going to do what's best, not what's good. 
This is where self-control comes in. I can't help but think that the Apostle Paul, as he was writing this letter to the Galatians, was thinking self-control. That's figuring out how to make decisions against yourself. When it's natural to punch a hole through the wall, I'm going to resist that. And Holy Spirit, I need you to help me to do that. Jesus also said in Luke chapter 9, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Another translation, New Living Translation says it this way. If anyone, if any of you wants to be my follower, how many here want to be followers of Jesus? Wow, just half of you. Okay. That's, <laughs> we're in church. Fine. <laughs> I get, that, that, that's a rhetorical question. We should like all like raise our hands, you know. He says, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. That sounds a lot like making decisions against yourself, making decisions against. So let me ask you, what decisions do you need to make against yourself? For some of you, it might be very obvious. It might be an addiction that you're struggling with, and it's controlling you. For others of you, it might be, you know, making some decisions outside of God's boundaries, whether it's relationally, sexually, financially. For others of you, it's not so obvious because it's really a decision between what's good and what's best. And we're challenged from the scriptures. We're challenged by God, by the Apostle Paul, to choose what is best. In fact, look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting with verse 24. Do you not know that, that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? Now, I, I read this, and I'm thinking, I, always, I don't know why there's just like this conflict in me when I read that, because we're, we live in a society, we live in a society where everybody wins, right? There's, everybody gets a prize, nobody's a loser in the race, and, so, and that's the, so Paul might have had a little bit of difficulty writing this to, to our culture, because... You know, we don't have, Paul's talking about first, second, third place. That's what he says. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Paul is challenging you and I to run after something. Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. It used to be given a wreath if they won the race. But we, an imperishable one, one that will not die, one that will not fade away. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. That's another word for self-control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul here is talking about a competitive race. He's not talking about your morning jog. He's not talking about, you know, the laps that we do around the mall. He's talking about competition. I think in many ways what Paul is talking about here is effort. Effort. It takes effort to win this prize. We need to run. We need to go for it. Go big or go home in many ways is what the Apostle Paul is telling us. In Matthew chapter 25, there's this story of of this parable that Jesus gives. And he's talking about this master, this landowner, who is a very wealthy man, goes off to a distant land for for some business, and he leaves three of his servants in charge. And he divides up among the servants what they call talents. You know the parable of the talents. He divides up gold among the three servants. 
And he gave different amounts to each one of them. But for each one of them, there was this expectation that they would do something with it. That they would make an effort. That they would work towards doing, towards multiplying what the master had given them. And you, you know the story that one of them decided just to bury it in the background. He made no effort whatsoever. And we know the story that basically the master came back and rebuked him and cast him out because he made no effort at all. To the other two, they made an effort. He didn't say to them, hey, well said, good and faithful servant. Well planned, good and faithful servant. Well thought of, good and faithful. That's not what he said to them. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. There was an effort required and there was an effort that they gave. And they were rewarded for that. And so biblically speaking, I think it's a beautiful thing for us. That when we say, God, I'm all in for you. I'm going all in and all after you. That God rewards that. He rewards the effort. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. He's talking about the Christian life, and he likens it to the training of an athlete. And an athlete, some of you know this, some of you are athletes, some of you work with athletes. An athlete exercises self-control. For what purpose? To win the game. To get the trophy at the end of the season. To be crowned. That's why athletes do it. Paul says, yes, they do that. And guess what? That trophy that they get, that crown that they get, that wreath that they get, that's a perishable item. But guess what? What we are running after will never perish. It lives forever and ever and ever. And so you should run after it because it is forever and ever and ever. Um, All my life, I've tried to stay in the gym. I, I have a... this. This roller coaster ride of working out, man. I, I work out, I work out regularly, regularly. I've been in a good stretch right now working out regularly, but then I'll, you know, I'll drop off for two months out of, the, out of the year or something, you know? It's like, I don't know what happens. I get a cold and now suddenly I can't. And it, it's actually easier for me not to work out, especially these days, because I, I start getting out of the bed. I, I, look, I, I feel like I'm an old man because I get out of bed and this is how I walk. And everything's creaking and cracking, you know? Crack, 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 you know? And so it's just easier not to, but I, I do it anyways. And there's a reason why, because long ago, I discovered that there is a correlation. There, there's a connection between self-discipline, disciplining myself to go to the gym, and my spiritual life. I discovered, I have discovered, that, um, that the more disciplined I am in you know, working out or doing whatever I have to do to stay fit, the more disciplined I am in my prayer life and in reading the scriptures. I'm not trying to, you know, bring some kind of legalism. You should be working out. That's not what I'm talking about. Discipline comes in so many different arenas and so so many different ways. But there's something kind of, it's not unrelated. In fact, what I want to point out is that, you know, what is our problem Our problem is that sometimes it's our inability, our inability to control our appetite for food, for fame, for sex, for whatever, that causes us to be away from God. In other words, the lack of self-control is oftentimes what causes us to be far and distant from God. So no wonder the Apostle Paul is telling us, hey, you need to make some decisions against yourself. You need to make some decisions against yourself. I think that's why God instituted the, the spiritual discipline of fasting, you know, it's like you know, for a season, not, not eating food. Because if you could say no to food, 
Man, you can say no to anything, right? That's my problem. It's food. Look, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not trying to tell you it's all about the works. We sang about the reckless love of God. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. None of us do. But it was freely given to us. You you know how I feel about the immeasurable grace of God. That's the only reason I can stand here right now is because of his grace. But my problem, the problem I have is I think that we've misinterpreted the message of grace. We've, we've interpreted it to mean that the Christian walk is easy. It's easy, right? There's no effort required because God is so gracious. But let me tell you something. Taking up your cross and denying yourself, that is not a walk in the park. It's going to require you to make decisions against yourself. You're going to have to so that you can achieve that prize. In fact, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So let me ask you, as you're working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, are you winning that battle? Are you winning that battle? Are, are, you, are you controlling the struggle? See, we're not exempt from struggle. We're not exempt from battle in this life. But let me ask you, are you controlling the struggle or is it controlling you? And if it is controlling you, then, then you know what? You need to get some help. You need to reach out to a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, will you, will you pray with me? Will you be my accountability partner? Maybe you need counseling. I don't know. We have a group here called Celebrate Recovery where these you know, very courageous group of guys who get together every week, every Friday, every Friday night, uh, sorry, every Sunday night, they get together and they, they recognize that there is a struggle. There is a struggle. And very courageously and very bravely, they share that struggle with other brothers because they are working their way out of it. And just like in the gym, you know, sometimes you need a spotter. You know, you're, you're on that third, third set and you're number eight and you're trying to lift and your arms are shaking and they're bouncing all over the place. You need somebody to come along and just with the, just the tips of their fingers, just lift you up a little bit. We need spiritual spotters as well, Right? That's a celebrate recovery. It's an incredible group. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 says, As you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Paul here is talking about Christian freedom. Yes, you are free. So what, what I'm discussing today, your salvation is not at stake. We're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about what, what God, the plans and purposes God has for your life how to realize them, how to see them fulfilled. If you choose what is second best, you will not necessarily get there, right? Paul's alluding to this. But the difference between average or mediocre and the person who, who, who God is using and, and God is pouring himself into has a lot to do with choosing what is best rather than what is good. He uses the word beneficial, Right? Not everything is beneficial. Not everything is good for you. So let me ask you are, you, are you, are you asking questions? Is this permissible? As a pastor, man, I, I've, I've fielded those questions so many times. You know, How far is too far? What can I get, away, get by with and still be okay? <laughs> In other words, what is permissible? That's the wrong question to be asking, right? 
The right question is, what is the, what is the best thing for me? God, what do you have? What's the best thing for me? What will get me closer to you? You see, saying beneficial is saying, when you say, I'm going after what's beneficial, is saying, good is not good enough. I need God's best for my life. And so what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that that's going to require making some decisions against yourself. You can't settle for what's permissible. You've got to go for what's, what's best. 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, shadow boxing, right? Don't you, how many of you agree? We have a great band here to play this morning, right? I mean, that's right. I wish I could play the guitar like Steve. Or, you know, the drums like Javier over here, right? I can't. I do play an instrument, though. It's the air guitar. You've never seen it, but man, I'm really good. I am really good. I'm not even going to give you a, a sample of it because it's just going to blow you away. <laughs> but when I play the air guitar, man, I'm as good as Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page. Man, those guys have nothing on me when I'm playing the air guitar. All right. You know why you're laughing? Because playing the air guitar means nothing. It's pointless. And this is what Paul was saying. It's pointless. It's pointless to shadow box. It's pointless to beat the air. You're not accomplishing anything. You need to have direction. You need to have goals. You need to have routines in your life. This is what Paul is trying to tell us in this passage. So here are some ideas. As we talk about walking in the spirit and cultivating the fruit of self-control, here are some ideas I'm going to kind of present to you, some things that you can do along the way that will contribute to it or maybe even be, will happen as a result of the Holy Spirit creating the fruit of self-control in you. The first one is this. We need to establish some God-sized goals. Have you ever heard of BHAG or B-H-A-G? Big, hairy, audacious goals. Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah. Big, hairy, audacious goals. There's books out there about it, you know, having these big, big goals. You might think, what does that have to do with self-control? Well, it has everything to do with self-control. You see, faith, the Bible tells us that faith is being sure of what, we, of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith has a certain direction in mind. Faith says, I see that over there and that's what I want. It's a goal, so to speak. And so if I don't have goals, if I'm just going aimlessly around, I basically am not walking in faith. I don't have faith if I don't have some kind of direction or goals in my life. That's, let, me, let me explain that this way. 13 years ago, Chris Carey, where's Chris? It's Chris, he went outside. He's working. Chris Carey and Anna Carey and, and my family, we came to, life, to Iowa City and we said we're going to start this church called Life Church. And uh, back then we started talking about it. I mean, we had no, there was nobody. You guys weren't even here. Nobody was sitting out in, in chairs and there was nothing. And we were talking about, we're going to see thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to have an amazing worship band. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. These were just goals. These were just dreams and ideas that were being thrown out there. In fact, they were so big and so crazy. We had numerical goals. We had spiritual goals. We had global kind of goals. We had missions goals. They were so crazy that oftentimes, we, as we were talking, we are like, well, gosh, I really hope that this happens, you know, <laughs> because we were so convinced that it was going to happen, but man, it just seemed like so impossible to happen. 
That's where this idea came up that we, start, we say around here all the time, go after something so big it's destined to fail unless God intervenes. It was birthed out of all these ideas that we had, these amazing goals, and yet no idea how we were possibly going to get there, except that we're just going to keep looking in that direction, having faith in God. And God has blessed us along the way, and we've seen growth, and we've seen hundreds, maybe even thousands come to faith in Jesus Christ. And a lot of those, but you know what's interesting, though? The goals that we set back then, they haven't even been realized yet. <laughs> they're, st- they're still ahead of us. There's still more to be done. We're still running this race. We're still in process. We're still striving. We're still making effort because the goal is out there in front of us. What we need are goals that are so big, they're going to take, it's going to take self-control to be able to accomplish them. That's what it's going to take, right? See, if your goal is simply, I'm going to stop sinning, that's not really a goal, don't tell me what you're not going to do. Tell me what you are going to do. What's the big, audacious goal that God has for your life? I think the reason many people struggle with habitual sin and with addictions is because they don't have a greater yes in their life to, say, to be able to say no to a lot of things. What's your Yes. Once you know what that is, once you grab a hold of that, you'll discover you don't have time for all these little encumbrances in your life. You don't have time for that addiction that seems to be keep circling around and circling around and circling around, and you're just going through this cycle. You don't have time for certain relationships that are just dragging you down because you have a goal set before you. There's a greater yes in your life. So don't say, I'm going to stop sinning. Rather say, I'm going to be a man or woman of God. I'm going to be a person who gets up early in the morning and prays and reads his Bible. I'm going to be a person that's going to, you know what, the next opportunity, I'm going to sign up for that El Salvador trip. I'm scared to death traveling overseas, but I'm going to sign up for that El Salvador trip. I'm going to be one who's going to give big to kingdom builders. I'm going to be one who's going to start tithing, as scary as that sounds, 10% of your income every, every, you know, every, every month or every week, however you get paid. That's a scary proposition, but yet, God, that's a goal in front of me, and I'm going to go after that. It helps you start making decisions against yourself when you put those goals out in front of you. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no revelation, another word for that is where there's no vision, or let's use our word, where there's no goals, the people cast off restraint. The word cast off restraint is the opposite of self-control. One translation says they run wild. When you have no goals in front of you, you just run wild. You're aimless. You're lost. Right? So what's the God-sized goal that you need in your life? What do you need to be shooting after so that you can say yes to God and no to these other things? So establish goals. Another one we need to do is we need to establish boundaries. Boundaries. I've decided, for example, for, my, for me, I've decided on Fridays is, Fridays is my day off. So this Friday, let me give you a little rundown of, my, my, of Friday. I, got a, I slept in on Friday. I didn't have to get up early. I, uh, I uh, went worked out. And then after I worked out, went by the bank. Then we went to Cedar Rapids and we had lunch with some friends. It was really fun. Came back and picked up our grandson, Gabby, and, and then we spent the afternoon at the, swim, at the splash pool over there in, in Corville. 
That was fun. Went home, and uh, he stayed with us till around eight, 8 o'clock or so, you know, playing. I was down in the basement playing, running, through, you know, running around the basement with him and stuff. It was a lot of fun. Can I tell you, you know what? I didn't think about Life Church at all on Friday. I know it's not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to sound offensive, but if I'm going to go after God, if I'm going to say yes to God, if I'm going to maintain, you know, if I'm going to make decisions against myself, one of those things I have to do is, say, is, is create some boundaries and say no to certain things. There's a lot of boundaries I've set in mind. There are things I, I will watch and there are things I will not watch on TV. There are places I will go to and there are places I will not go to. And all of that stuff, you know what it does for me? It, it, it creates an environment for me to have a healthy relationship with my Savior, Jesus Christ. So what boundaries do you need to establish or reestablish in your life? And then finally, you need to establish routines. One of the most spiritual decisions you can make is establish some routines in your life. Um, it starts with basically setting the alarm a little bit earlier in the morning, even if it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes earlier. There's this book uh, by Admiral William McRaven, who, the title of the book, when I first saw it, I thought, this is a dumb title, Make Your Bed. (laughs) I wasn't sure exactly what what he was getting at, but what he was trying to say was, hey, the pathway towards success starts by getting up early and making your bed. In other words, the pathway to success starts by establishing some routines in your life. I think our problem oftentimes is we, we, the way we deal with things is that circumstances de- de- determine the routines of my life. And so I find myself scrambling going in a lot of different directions. But if I can just start establishing some routines, a schedule, I find freedom. It helps me to start to live in a life of self-control and find rhythms to my life, a pace where I'm keeping in step with God. So goals, boundaries, routines, self-control, making decisions against yourself. Now, let me end this series. I'm going to kind of pull away from the idea of self-control, just end this series. We've been talking in this series about peeled, what's under your skin, or what should be there. And it's about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about love, joy, peace, and all those different things, right? There's a, an old preacher, his name is Charles Spurgeon. Actually, he's one of the most famous preachers in history. Today, you can go by a library of his sermons, and it's like literally a lot of volumes. I don't know the exact number, but it's a lot of volumes of just nothing but his sermons. Very powerful sermons. Maybe sermons that you wouldn't so much hear these days, but very deep, very profound, very powerful, especially for the day in which he was preaching. One of the things that Charles Spurgeon always said was every time he was preparing to preach a, a message or a sermon, the text that he would use, once he, once he knew that he was going to preach out a particular text, this, this is the words he said, I would make a beeline to the cross. He would draw a connection to Jesus and the resurrection and the cross so that it can make sense. We've been talking about peeled. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We've been talking about walking in the Spirit. We've been talking about love, joy, peace. So let me ask you this question. What do you need? What do you need? Do you need love? Then make a beeline to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you need joy? Do you need peace? Do you need patience? Do you need kindness? Do you need goodness? 
Do you need faithfulness, gentleness? Finally, do you need self-control? Then Spurgeon would tell you, make a beeline to the cross. Let me simplify that. Everything we've been talking about for the last nine weeks, in fact, everything we ever talk about in this place is about one simple thing, surrender. Every single one of us, no matter where you are, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it starts with surrender. If you've been serving Christ for 40 years of your life, you still have room for surrender. I know I do. And so if we need love, joy, peace, if we need any of those things in our lives, it's not about working it up. It's not getting this mental understanding or knowledge of it. You know what it's all about? It's all about saying, God, here I am. I surrender my life to you. Holy Spirit, help me to walk in step with you, Holy Spirit. Here I am, I surrender. And that's really the invitation to conclude this series this morning. Is are you willing to surrender once again? Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we just want to thank you for your reckless love. It was a love that could have been channeled and directed into some other direction, not us, not the sinners of our like. And yet, you loved us. You went to the cross. You gave your life so that we could have life. And all you ask, Father, from us, all you ask is for us to make decisions against ourselves, to surrender our way to you, Jesus. So this morning, that's what we do. We surrender to you in everything, in all things. For those here this morning, Father, that may have never had a relation, never had a relationship with you, never given their life to you, Jesus, that today, Father, could be the first day in which they surrender their life to you, Jesus. For those of us who've been walking with you for some time now, Lord God, we surrender. We once again make a decision to surrender ourselves, surrender our will, surrender our knowledge, surrender all things to you, Jesus. We surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the Life Church Podcast.